Do you ever feel like you're oversailed or you're overhyped today by advertisements and things? You know, the pill that says that you take this pill once a day, eat anything you want, and lose 50 pounds of belly fat in a month. Do you ever take my word for it? It, it doesn't work. It, it doesn't work. Just trust me on that. Or the tonic that you can buy, and if you drink it, it cures cancer, bad breath, and back hair all within two weeks. Hopefully, you girls never have a back hair problem, but you guys will at some point in the future. The truth is we are oversold. We are overhyped. We're, we're promised things that, that are never going to be delivered. Well, this morning, we're starting a new sermon series out of 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to that. If not, the Scriptures uh, will be on the screen, 2 Samuel 11. But I, I want you to hear what I'm fixing to say because it's going to sound like I'm overselling, but I promise you I, I am not. A principle we're going to see today that if you live this out the rest of your life, it will protect you in a million ways. But a failure in this simple area will eventually cost you if you don't correct it. It'll cost you everything that is precious to you this morning. It can cost you your very life. It can cost you your mental and emotional health. It can cost you your name or your reputation, your Christian witness. It can cost you your husband or your wife. Parents, it can cost you the respect and the authority that you need to have with your kids. In other words, this principle can protect or neglect it. It can devastate everything that's precious to you. And here's this principle. Be where you should be in life. Be where you need to be. Now, that sounds real simple, and it is pretty simple. It's not very easy to do a lot of times. Our story begins in chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 1. We're going to be in this story for several weeks, but here's where it all gets kicked off. We're going to read through verse 17 and then jump to the end of the chapter. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David, this is the key part of the story, remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and was walking around. In other words, he was sleeping until mid-afternoon or late, early in the evening. He's walking around the roof of the palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her in the name and found out. The man says, isn't this Bathsheba? I've always thought it was funny. The woman he says sees bathing is Bathsheba. Isn't this the daughter of Elam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanliness. Then she went back home. In verse 5, the woman conceived and sent word to David, and she said, I'm pregnant. And that little passage about she had, uh, she had bathed in her uncleanliness, what that was put in there for to let you and I know clearly that this was David's kid, Okay. Verse 6, so David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite, this woman's husband. And Joab said to David, sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him, how's Joab? How are the soldiers there? How is the war going? Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace 
uh, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all of his master's servants and did not go down to his house. When David was told Uriah did not go home, he asked him, why have you, have you, you just come from a distance. Why didn't you go home? In verse 11, Uriah said to David, the ark in Israel and Judah, basically all my friends, all my comrades are staying in tents and my master Joab and my Lord's men, they're camped in open fields. How could I go to my house, eat, drink, and lie with my wife? As surely as I live, I will not do such a thing. It's about time for David to come clean, isn't it? Verse 12, David said to him, stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. Beginning to see some problems in this story. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat from his master's servants, and he did not go home. Now it's time for David to come clean, right? Everything is not worked up to this point, but it doesn't happen in verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, and he sent it with Uriah. Uriah is carrying this letter, okay? He's carrying it back to Joab. In it, he wrote, put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is the fiercest, then withdraw him so he will be struck down and die. Here, take this letter. You can't look at it, but this letter is your death warrant. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. And when the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Jump all the way down to verse 26 and 27. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And after the time of the morning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son, and they lived happily ever after in the palace. No, read that last sentence in your Bible. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Now, folks, I don't know if you watch reality shows or scandals of Rustin or whatever on your TV, but I want to tell you, the Bible does not mince words. The Bible is clear, and this is a scandal of proportions, of, well, literally, of biblical proportions. Let's, let's look at a little bit of the history here. David's about 50. He had been the king uh, in Jerusalem now for about 10 years. This is, okay, now, this is so important. This is the David of David and Goliath fame. This is the guy that, that God chose to be the king. This is the guy that when he had a chance to kill the corrupt king Saul over and over and over, he didn't do it because it was not the right thing to do. This is the guy that God said, this is a man after my own heart. This is a special dude. This is a guy God used to write uh, a number of chapters and stuff in the Old Testament. This is a godly, godly king, warrior then look what he did. He sees a woman, and guys, this just isn't any woman or girls. This isn't any person. It says, isn't this Uriah's wife? Uriah was one of David's top 30 bodyguards. Her dad was a guy named Elam. Elam was one of Uriah, uh, in with Uriah, in David's bodyguards. Her, her grandfather her grandfather was a guy named Ohidophel. He was one of David's advisors. David knew, David knew this family and this woman well. 
But yet he commits adultery with her. And then instead of breaking down and getting it right, he brings her husband in and he tries to deceive him over and over and over. And then when that doesn't work, he sends a letter with Uriah back to the the battle commander saying, Look, this guy, I want him rubbed out. In mafia terms, whacked. I want him killed. And he's killed. And then when all that's said and done, David's still acting like everything's great and there's no problems at all. And he has Bathsheba brought to him and he marries her. Now look what happened. All began for one reason. David remained in Jerusalem. Let me tell you the rest of the story briefly. Again, we'll look at this all over the next few weeks in detail. When it said God was displeased, that may have been one of the understatements of the Bible. They had a little baby and the baby died. Now, all these things I'm fixing to tell you, do not ever look at yourself or someone else and say, this is God's judgment on you. Because No, this, we know this is God's judgment on David and Bathsheba because the Bible tells us the baby died. David's kingdom, man, he had trouble with his kingdom the rest of his life. And his family, his family went completely hog wild crazy. One of his sons named Amnon, all after this, all as a result of this, rapes his half-sister, David's daughter, Tamar. Then Absalom comes in, and he is the full brother with Tamar. He kills Amnon. So David's kids have raped each other and murdered each other at this point. And then Absalom goes completely hog wild, and he tries to take over his father's kingdom. And he's doing a pretty good job of it for a while. In fact, he runs David out of town. David, his dad, leaves out of town running for his life. And then Absalom gets some of his, David's concubines, that's kind of women on the side, and he has sex with them in public, probably on the same roof David is walking around peering at Bathsheba on. And then Absalom, pursuing his dad in battle, he ends up getting his hair caught in a tree and getting a sword ran through or spear ran through him. He dies horribly. And it all started, it all started in verse 1. In the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men. But David remained in Jerusalem. Now, guys, to get to understand this, the king in this day was not only the, the royalty, he was the general. He was the warrior. The king led the people out to battle. And, and this was probably in April or May. They actually had war season. Like we, have, we started football season. They had war season after the winter rains. They said in Vietnam during the war, when the monsoon season came, it would almost shut the war down for a while. That was the way it was back then. In the winter, it would rain. The roads would get bad, impassable. They would wait till April or May. Then they would go to war. And where David was supposed to be was to be leading his troops in battle. And he's going to lose everything precious to him because he's not where he should be. Now, I want to give you two thoughts on this this morning, two principles that spin from this. Number one, don't be in the wrong places where you should not be. Now, I want to just say something to you real quick. I, I, I don't sense this spirit at all, but I want to tell you, if you're cocky today, if you're arrogant, and you think, well, this couldn't happen to me, I'm going to throw this on the table. Start with me on out. There's not anybody in here that's more godly than David was. 
I've read the Bible through, and I've never seen where it had Wayne and Chris listed as God after man's own heart, a man after God's own heart like it did David. So we better pay attention because this is where David's world unraveled. Don't be where you shouldn't be. Now, again, there's a thousand applications, and if you're taking notes, God may speak to your heart about something that you need to write down for yourself right now. Let me give you a couple. You know, if you're a, if you're a legal adult, if you're 21, and, and you, can, you can take alcohol responsibly, uh, the Bible's clear, if you're a minor, you shouldn't drink. The Bible's clear you should never get drunk. Uh, the Bible is clear that drinking in itself is not a sin. You do have to worry about your witness and things like that. But, you know, I have a pretty strong opinion about bars and bars not being healthy environments. None of you have ever been in a bar, so I'm going to share with you because I have been what they're like. They're not normally places that you go, and uh, girls used to tickle me in college because they just wanted to go and dance. And I said, that isn't why most guys are going, right, guys? Okay? I had a friend in Texas, a wonderful friend, uh, not a brain surgeon, I'll just put it that way, but a great, great guy. And, and I saw him about 15 years ago, and he was telling me, he goes, Chris, I know why there are fights in bars. I have solved the riddle. I said, amen, brother, I want to hear it. Tell me. He said, it's the cowboy hats. I said, okay. He said, you know, guys get in these bars and they got the cowboy hats on and they get cocky and they end up fighting. I said, <clears throat> I said, Harold, I've pastored three churches in Texas and every church I've been in, men have worn cowboy hats in church. And knock on wood, I've never seen punches. Well, the kindergartner used to see some punches thrown, but I've never seen adults fight in a church. It's not the cowboy hats. He said, well, I think you're right. It's the pool tables. It's the pool. That's what causes fights in bars is the pool tables. I said, Harold, I said, I grew up in a church where we had pool tables. I said, I pastor a church where we have pool tables. I've never seen grown men or teenagers rolling around the pool table swinging at each other because of the pool tables. He said, well, I think you're right. I think you're right. He said, I think it's the girls. I said, I think you're on to something now. He goes, you know, these guys get in there and they're chasing these girls and they got the cowboy hats on, they're playing pool. He had to throw that back in there too. And they, they want to show off from these girls. They end up getting in fights. I said, Harold, I said, I got to tell you this, brother. I said, I've, I've, I've been around girls a lot. I got two sisters. I got a mama. I got daughters. I know they're a little bit crazy. That's just the way God made them, and we love them anyway. Amen, guys, right? Women, I'm teasing. I don't think y'all are crazy. We're the ones who are crazy. But I said, Harold, I said, I, I've, I've never, I, I've been in church with a lot of women. I've never seen a fight. I said, Harold, do you think it may be you're in a dark room with 400 people and half of them are drunk? Could that be the problem? Yes, that can be the problem. Somebody said, well, I don't go to a bar. Well, if you go to the country club and there's 300 people drinking and it's dark, that's kind of like a bar. And I'm just telling you, you need to think about these things. I had some friends in Memphis, Tennessee who worked for a big corporation and their bosses would fly in. And they would say, when my boss comes in, we, we have to go to a gentleman's club. Now, nobody in here knows what that is, correct? That is a place where people take their clothes off and dance. And they have them for men and for women. And they said, we've got to do it. Our boss makes us do it. Let me tell you, there's nothing good going to happen in a place where people are taking their clothes off and dancing. Amen. Unless it's in your house with your spouse. Amen? <laughs> and my wife doesn't want me dancing anyway. <laughs> Clothed or not, I guarantee you. 
But how in the world is anything good going to happen in a strip club? Well, I'm going in there and telling people about Jesus. You better have your wife and five church members with you. And be prepared to get beat up, by the way, too. <laughs> Don't go in a strip club unless it's on fire and you're pulling people out and your spouse is with you. Amen. That's a good, a good way to look at it. Okay, you're married. You're married. You're a married person. Let's talk about y'all. You go on a business trip, or you going into you're going into the room of that female or that male associate to talk about business? Well, we're just catching up on our sales and stuff. Go to the coffee shop. Go to the lobby. Go to Starbucks. You young people, you college students, well, we're just going to go to the bedroom and study. The Greek biblical word for that is whatever. <laughs> Bedrooms weren't made for studying, amen? Maybe small ones by, they were for single people studying by themselves, correct? That's right. That's right. You get on the Internet and you're, you're, you're looking at pornography. How is anything good going to happen with that? Nothing wrong with the Internet. Well, I'm doing research. Your mama, your dad, your husband, your wife, and probably your pastor needs to be with you to monitor you at that point. And I don't want to look at it. I'll send Brandon. He's the counselor. He can work you through it. Get real with yourself. You're married. Don't get on Facebook and start chatting privately with someone of the opposite sex who you aren't married to. Amen? It's amen whether you amen or not. That's right. Well, we're just friends. So were David and Bathsheba. They had ran in the same circles, guys. There's a lot of places, if we just don't go, we may save everything precious to us. Now, some of you are saying, none of this applies to me, Pastor. I wouldn't go to a strip club. I wouldn't even look at a bar. I wouldn't even own the computer. Well, good for you. That's awesome. You live in the Stone Age if you don't own a computer, but that's cool. That's cool. But you know what? You hang around people who gossip and slander and you'll, you'll play cards with them, or you'll, God forbid, you'll sit in a Bible study class, or you'll be in a youth group or a singles group, and you're talking about people and you're destroying people. You know what? You need to get away from that. That's the wrong place to be. Either tell that person to zip their pie hole, or you leave. That's the wrong place to be. I want to tell you a story from when I was 15 years old. There were two girls that I knew that were my age. They were both, we both just finished, all three of us finished the ninth grade. And this was in June of 1998, I think, yeah, I was finished the ninth grade then. And no, it was 78, 78. And these two girls, I, I have no idea. I have no idea if they were drinking. In fact, I, I, I don't have a clue if they, they were even chewing red man. And even girls where I grew up would occasionally. But they got in the car with two older guys who were drinking. And apparently the guy driving was drunk. And he hit a tree. Not, not even a big tree. I mean, a tree was like, like that size. The size of my arm. You know, about like that. <laughs> and, and one of the girls was crippled pretty much for the rest of her life. I think she still is. 
Emotionally and mentally, she, she was not the same for three years last time I saw her, which was years ago. The other 15-year-old girl died right there at the wreck, died right there at the wreck. I have no idea if they were doing anything they should not have been doing. Here's what their fatal mistake was. They were where they should not have been. Blow that off at your own peril. First principle to get a hold of. You want to save your marriage, your kids, your reputation, your name, maybe your life, your health, your, your career, your job, your athletic career. Don't be in the wrong place. Now, here's the second part of this. Be where you should be. Be in the good spots. And again, if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you a few applications. You may be able to think of a hundred applications. It says in the spring at the time when the kings go off to war, David, instead of David doing what he should have done, he sent someone else to do it. How many people are doing this with your work? Things you should be doing at your office, at your workplace, at your home, And you're letting somebody else take care of it. You're opening the door up. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. I want to show you on a little map. It's a modern map, but there's Jerusalem right there at the green dot. And there's uh, Ammon, Jordan, and that is ancient Rabbah right there. So it's about a 50 to 60-mile trip. David was not surfing on the Dead Sea, uh, flying to the U.K., David was just in Jerusalem. And what's wrong with being at home? What's wrong with being in your palace if you have a palace? Everything's wrong with being at home if you're supposed to be at war, if you're supposed to be at work. Just a little refresher. Read verse 4 and 5 with me again. David sent his messengers to get her. She came to him. He slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanliness She went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. The story goes on, remember, where he brings Uriah in. Uriah won't comply. He has Uriah killed. He marries his wife, and God sees the whole thing. Folks, David wasn't even in a bad place. David was just in a place he did not need to be. Listen to this. Because of this, he breaks the 6th, 7th, and the ninth and the 10th of the Ten Commandments just like that. Just like that. That's how quick it went down. Where are some places you need to be? Okay, you're a married person. What about your home? Maybe you're not married. You're a single parent. You know, there's nothing wrong with playing golf. There's nothing wrong with working. Working's super important. It really is. Nothing wrong with having friends or going hunting or fishing unless you're neglecting your home. You know, it, it is not uncommon to hear about a divorce, hear about an affair. And, and, and here's how it got started. The husband or the wife just wasn't home. Just wasn't home. Doesn't make anything right on the wrong side of that, but that's how it can get started. What about your workplace? If you work or school, this would apply to school. One time I got in trouble in school because I was supposed to be in biology. I I wasn't anywhere bad. I was just at Wendy's. (laughs) For some reason, our dumb assistant principal didn't understand what the big deal was about that. But, you know, know, a lot of people flunk out of college. A, A lot of people don't make the grades they should because they're never in class. They're not where they should be. 
What about with you in your workplace? You know, it's amazing. People will, will get fired. They will lose their jobs. And they go, I had no idea this was coming. Yeah, when you miss work half the time or you stop showing up and supervising your business, things come unraveled. I knew a pastor in Texas. This literally happened. He played golf three or four times a week. He was a great golfer. He was a sorry pastor. They finally had to decide to let him go. And the person, the leader who was given the job to give him his walking papers literally met him at the 18th green of the golf course and said, keep playing, pal. (laughs) It's over. We have a policy here. We never hire a par golfer. If you can shoot par, we can't use you. (laughs) Maybe you have a job where you can play golf five days a week. Not many of us do and be effective. What about church? Let's talk about this. We're talking about where we need to be. You know, we get frustrated, and, I, man, I, I get frustrated with our society today, uh, with, with our world. Man, you watch the news, and you look, you look how fast our country seems to be going in a, a really an anti-Christian direction. But a lot of that started in here, not just in here. I mean, the church house with Christians. And one of it is, is we've made Sunday just like any other day. We have secularized, we have despiritualized, we have taken the specialness out of God's day. And we always have a justification. See, when you sin, you've either got to admit you're sinning or you've got to justify it. And it's a whole lot easier to do what? To justify it so you can keep doing what you want to. Do you know where you need to be on Sunday? You need to be in God's house. I, I could tell you a hundred stories of people who came to church Maybe they didn't even come very often, but they they show up one Sunday. And that Sunday morning, their their kid pulls on their arm and says, Daddy or Mama, take me down front. I want to become a Christian. And that morning, they got saved. Or that dad or that mom got saved. Or you never know, some Sunday might be the day that God speaks to you and changes your life. There's nothing wrong with being at the golf course or being at home or fishing or hunting unless you should be in God's house. You see, there's a thousand applications to this. Some of us aren't praying and reading our Bible like we should. Nothing wrong with being on the computer. Nothing wrong with watching TV if you're watching good shows. But, but if you're neglecting your spiritual life, your, your prayer closet, you're not where you should be. Guys, David's whole world unravels, not because he was smoking pot in the palace and listening to bad rap music. David's world unraveled because he wasn't where he should have been. James 1.22 in the New Testament It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but do what it says. Guys, here's here's how God measures spiritual depth and maturity. It's not by our, our knowledge. It's by what we do with what we know. God's never sitting up in heaven going, wow, I cannot believe I just can't believe how awesome that sermon was. He really knows a lot about me. God's impressed when we take what we know and we act on it. That's what application is. Let me just run you through this real quick. You neglect to be where you should be. You go where you shouldn't be. Here's what's going to happen eventually. You may lose your health. 
You may lose your wife or your husband. You may lose the respect of your kids the rest of your life. You may lose your job, your reputation. You may sacrifice your Christian witness, not because you did a horrible thing, but because you weren't where you should be. Let's pray. If you're a Christian this morning, man, I think we know what we need to do and what God would have us act on. If you're not a Christian, I want to challenge you where you are this morning. You're not a Christian, you're unsure. Pray with me and just say, Jesus, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. I believe you're God's son and that you died for me. And Jesus, I ask you now to come into my heart. And I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Let me have your attention just for a moment. We're going to stand in a minute. And I'm going to challenge you to respond to what God said to you. Maybe you just ask Christ in your heart or you're ready to do that. We have ministers who will be down here. Come talk to one of them. Settle that this morning with God. Maybe you'd like to join our church today. We would love for you to if God's leading you to. One of the ways you can do that, just step out. Come down this morning. We'll help you with that decision. You're a Christian here this morning. Maybe you can say, you know what, I'm doing okay with this. That's awesome. So was David. Till it, till it unraveled. Man, make a commitment today to be where you should be and to not be where you shouldn't be. Some of us need to repent. We're not where we should be. We're going to places we shouldn't be going. And it's time to get that right with God. Where you're standing or at the altar, let's do that. Let's stand and let's, let's respond to Christ this morning.